the Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. In virtual worship, our sanctuary empty, we gather this January Sunday. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. The liturgy, music, cantata, and sermon are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation today and later. Our service today includes the sermon recorded this week along with music and liturgy from earlier services. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, when again it is permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. Please note on our website the many possibilities for ministry and pastoral support available this week. Although our nave is empty, the music is full. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things both in heaven and on earth. Mercifully hear the supplications of your people and in our time grant us your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm along with the Antiphon. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty are the works of the Lord, whose righteousness endures forever, who has gained renown by his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. The Lord provides food for those who fear him and is ever mindful of his covenant. The Lord has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. The Lord sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is God's name. The year of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. The praise of the Lord endures forever. rise as you are able for the singing of the glory of Patri and the reading of the gospel. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Glory to you, O Lord. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. 
They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Jesus greets us today through the inner voice, your inner voice, nudging by and through the inklings of faith in your own experience. You are listening and so are drawn to faith through the spiritual nudges of the gospel in tradition and in confrontation and in response. Three inklings of faith are announced today in the gospel according to St. Mark. We shall trace their emergence in our hearing and attempt to apply them to our spiritual benefit. First, notice the lingering power of tradition, not traditionalism, but the forms of inherited tradition. The dominical voice bespeaking inklings of faith whistles through the willow branches of tradition. Jesus speaks. When does he speak? On the Sabbath. Where does he speak? In the synagogue. How does he speak? As a teacher. All three aspects of his speaking are named for us, though we might have inferred two of the three from just the mention of one or another, for they go together, holy time, holy space, holy words. The gospel means to emphasize by repetition. There is at the outset a regard, a lingering respect for what has been, for what one inherits, for tradition, though not traditionalism. The Sabbath is the occasion, the synagogue is the setting, the role of teacher frames the message. A time of rest and refreshment, Sabbath, here receives Jesus' blessing, at least in the manner of his recognition and participation. Sunday for us can be a time of Sabbath rest, a time for sleep, for recovery, for reading, for telephoning. We are a sleep-deprived people, somnambulant in a sleep-deprived culture. So a traditional occasion, a time for retreat and renewal can feed us if we let it. There are none so weary as those who will not sleep. Following the sermon, some arise inspired and some awake refreshed, and both are good outcomes, both. Likewise, synagogue, a coming together is a traditional form. It means a gathering together. Blessed are the hosts, for they shall be called the cooks of God. When you have had a hand in gathering together a gathering together, you have brushed close to something good and something godly. How we feel the force of this winter 2021 mid-COVID, an inkling known in pain in the breach. So too the role of the teacher, a familiar role, a familiar social location. It is not in some exotic form that Jesus greets his hearers today, the form is familiar, the teacher. We may sometimes look too far, too wide for what we most want and need when nearby, familiarly so, our health awaits. 
Sabbath synagogue rabbi, tradition. Here Jesus is more than willing to don the raiment of inheritance to be harnessed by the yoke of tradition. Jeremiah recommended the old paths. Matthew prized every jot and, and tittle. We hunger for those voices that will help us translate the tradition into insights for effective living. So a chapel and so a Sunday service. Some memories of college years here will be connected to the particular sound of our choir. Some recollections of exams past or nearly past will be held in earshot of a meal or a trip or a talk here. Some remembrances of things past, even of hard moments of loss or regret or disappointment, will have about them a shaft of light through stained glass, an echo of truth through scripture read, an admission of prayer needed and offered. Our gospel today, which offers inklings of faith, notices the lingering power of tradition. It is in, within, in the midst of this house, this lineage, this inheritance, that Jesus speaks, not outside it. And his hearers are astonished. He's not confused in their hearing with their hearing of the scribes, his usual opponents in the flow of this gospel. They know a different voice when they hear it, a voice perhaps nudging you today, a hum, a whisper, an inkling of faith. But we are not told what exactly made the voice authoritative. Like last week in the calling of the disciples, the two sets of brothers, we are told nothing there about what made them move, what caused their decision, what set them free. And this week, in the authorization of teaching, we are told nothing about what made the sermon so good, only that it was. Second, notice, and how can we help it, the centrality of confrontation. Here there is an unclean spirit loose, loose amid the holy time and place and role. A voice of authority calls out his nemesis. We are straightway here in the realm of apocalyptic cosmic apocalyptic battle. And there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I can remember one of my first burials now more than 40 years ago in which such wailing broke out or rose up, confronting our hearing as the body was lowered. It was startling, but in truth, it was both real and right. It was true and real, a confrontation. You have heard it said before, death makes us mortal, facing death makes us human. That is, now and then, people still need to cry with a loud voice, Yet our worldview is not one of cosmic apocalyptic confrontation. We do not see a convulsive as one demon of an unclean sort challenging another Jesus demon of an authoritative sort. We are late modern people, women and men who do not cry out in public unless we're at a sporting event, drinking heavily, or about to call the police into a domestic dispute. Maybe in compensation, that is why sports and drinking and all become so central to us. Inklings of faith come along sometimes, involve sometimes moments of confrontation, not just pleasant courtesies of disagreement, but genuine squaring off wherein the courage to be and speak emerges. To your roommate, you finally say, one of us is wrong and I think it's you. To your boss, you finally say, 
look, do you want me to do my work or will you let me do it myself? To your politi political economy, known by the way for good reason as capitalism, not laborism, because capital rules labor in capitalism, you finally say, one way or another, my daughter needs a job. To your good friend, gently, you finally have to say, I'm sorry you feel that way, goodbye. To your spouse, you might finally have to say, you can have him or me, but not both at the same time. Or to your warring world, you finally shout, my son is not your cannon fodder. One thing I truly admired about my dad was how easy as a pastor he was around confrontation. A man would stand up and shout and carry on at a church meeting, walk out of worship the next Sunday, or send a blistering handwritten critical note to the pastor. My dad would shrug and smile and say, I like to see him get so worked up. It's worth the price of admission just to see him so angry. Less naturally and more slowly, I too have learned to honor and receive anger within limits. St. Mark would understand. For here Mark is starting his gospel with a confrontation. The verb here rendered be silent, so polite, means to muzzle, be muzzled. We have even sharper phrases to say so. Matthew begins his public gospel with the Sermon on the Mount. Luke begins his public gospel with the Sermon in Nazareth. John begins his public gospel with the wedding in Cana. But Mark, he begins with demons and with confrontation. When we get angry, we get in touch with something deep inside, something not necessarily at all related to what we think we are angry about. Anger is often, perhaps usually, misdirected. So in that sense, we're not so very far from the unclean spirit of Mark 1. We are complicated creatures. You see and hear again in a play from several years ago, Freud's last session recently rebroadcast, an imagined conversation between Sigmund Freud, the great psychologist, and C.S. Lewis, the great apologist. Bombs are falling on London. Freud is suffering with mouth cancer. Lewis is struggling with his young man's sexuality. And through it all, the question of God, of inklings of faith. Freud and Lewis confront each other. They lock horns for 90 minutes of verbal combat. Each memorizes and delivers the equivalent of two Sunday sermons. They square off and argue. Good. There is no resolution. How could there be in 90 minutes? But there is confrontation in and through which it may be there is an inkling of something, an inkling of faith. It takes some, sometimes the inkling of exorcising power, finally, of the power of love, finally, to move us. Third response, notice the response. The emphasis falls on an acknowledgement of an authenticity in the nudges to faith, inklings with authority. With authority, a new teaching, he commands, even the demons obey. His fame spread throughout the North Country, and it works. Whatever he said, whatever he taught, it helped somebody. We wish we knew what it was. Yet there is a quieter wisdom in the silence of Scripture here. If we knew, we would be tempted just to repeat rather than to rehearse. We need to have the tradition 
in the moment of confrontation translated into insights for effective living, which in response we can use. That is authentic authority in full. If we knew that he used the 100th Psalm, we would repeat it every Sunday. If we knew he preached on Jeremiah, we would invariably do so. If we knew he taught specific proverbs, we would ignore the rest. No, there is freedom in the silence at this point of the gospel. Here, a freedom to live and love with authentic authority, to respond. And you? And you? You may be committed to the life of faith because some of the best people leading the best lives in your experience have shown their own inklings of faith. You may respond to the freedom and love you see in other people of faith now 80 generations after the exorcism in Capernaum and the response all across Galilee. In other lives, you may see glimpses of what you too could be and could do. Some of those lives are close by. Some are in memory. Some are out there waiting to be introduced. Don't kid yourself, especially, especially in a university setting, people, young people are taking your measure. And that's good. Your example counts, matters, lasts, and works. Tradition and confrontation evoke a response. The unclean spirit leaves, the congregation murmurs, the report goes forth. Let me turn it around. When you fail somehow, and we all do sometime, you know the negative influence of your own response. So give yourself some credit then on the upside of the ledger when things do go right. Dr. Jones gave me a book, Professor Jones Listens with Care, that T.A. John Jones gave me the benefit of the doubt. I will always be grateful for what Chaplain Jones did for me. Let me say to those of us 30 years, and, 30 years old and more, eyes are watching, ears are listening, minds are considering what path or paths to take. Your example makes a difference in their response. We are forever teaching and learning, learning and teaching. That is, someone taught you, a high school band director, a Latin teacher in college, a chemistry professor who lingered with you in the lab, who? One responded to her Latin teacher, another responded to his science teacher, one responded to her history teacher, another responded to her family matriarch, one responded to his theology professor. As Carlisle Marnie put it, who told you who you was? Who told you who you was? Inklings of faith, the music of faith is playing all around us, all through us, in our triumph and in our tragedy day by day. We want to respond, to lean over, turn the dial, and set the music of life free, and dance and sing and pray. Inklings of faith. This is the power of Bach today. Inklings of faith are found in real response. The Gospel according to St. Mark starts off with inklings of faith. When you are searching for a sense of such, then hunt around for a healthy bit of lost tradition and for a courageous and cleansing moment of confrontation and for a real and personal public response, your own. Amen. As we turn again to our regular musical conversation partner, Johann Sebastian Bach, 
The tripartite rhythm, tradition, confrontation, and response echoes in the works of Bach, a fifth gospel transforming thought, word, and deed into a sacred song of praise, inspiration, and aspiration. Today we feature five movements from five cantatas heard over the past two decades here at Marsh Chapel in our Sunday morning liturgy. As with Bach, we begin and end with hymns of praise and adoration before confronting the challenges of our earthly predicament. Today, we take up the ages-old universal truth of the golden rule. To love God is to love your neighbor, and to love your neighbor is to reflect the image of the Creator in each of us. Bach seems to acknowledge the difficulty we have in loving our neighbor, but he challenges us to embrace the transformative experience of a daily opportunity to extend God's grace, loving into freedom, and freeing into greater love. We begin this cantata compilation in joyful adoration with the opening movement of Cantata 69, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits.
pivot, a challenge, a confrontation, an opportunity for contrition, perhaps. Ecclesiasticus 128. See to it that thy fear of God be not hypocrisy, and do not serve God with a double heart. Ah, uh, yes, the apple of Sodom, Cantata. Did you ever hear of this mystical fruit? Bright and shiny on the outside, but so rotten inside that it instantly dissolves into ash when plucked. For Bach and the librettist of Cantata 179, the apple of Sodom represented a dire warning for the faithful. See to it that your inner and outer piety are of equal sincerity. The idea of reflection and mirroring the image of the creator is seared into the very counterpoint of the movement we're about to hear. Written as a fugue, Notice how successive entrances are cast in mirror inversion of the main theme, a paradigm for the purity faith requires inside and out. One can hear the strain and stress of a false or double heart in the descending chromatic sung on the word falsha or false. See to it that your fear of God be not hypocrisy. Serve God with a pure heart, reflecting and mirroring God's infinite grace and mercy. Jaunty, didactic, even admonishing, Bach readily flexes his contrapuntal muscles with zeal and ardor, inviting the faithful to seek the higher ground, survey the common ground, but not before we've scoured the background. Thank you. 
hear these words from the prophet Isaiah. Deal thy bread to the hungry and bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. When thou seest the naked, cover him and hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning and thy health shall spring forth speedily and thy righteousness shall go before thee the glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. The idea of reflecting the image of the creator is the creative spark at the heart of the golden rule. For to love your neighbor, extending grace, is indeed the image of God's grace so freely and readily given to each of us. What begins as social justice for Isaiah, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, house the unhoused, becomes the animus for our own transformation. And like Jesus in today's lesson from Mark 1, Bach teaches us with remarkable understanding and authority. What begins as hollow, even disembodied, dry bones music, more resembling those who most need our assistance, little by little takes on sinews until fully clothed in the garb of a joyful dance. Love and serve your neighbor, and do so with the understanding that this above all rejoices God's heart, transforming us with the brightness of the morning sun.
and rule seems so easy, so straightforward. The law to love the Lord your God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus offers simply and directly love one another. No other qualifications or exemptions, but Jesus' Luke and parable of the Good Samaritan acknowledges our human failings. In so doing, Jesus reveals a sublime dialectic, law and grace inextricably connected, inviting us daily to acknowledge our sin, claim God's redeeming grace, and freely share that same grace. In recent years, our survey of Bach's cantatas has drawn inspiration and focus from those cantatas Bach wrote in his first months in Leipzig, July, August, and September of 1723. These works reveal an astonishing and radiant understanding of the scripture, far beyond mere text setting. The grand and bold opening movement of Cantata 77 unfolds with tender, unassuming lines that ultimately gather to the most extraordinary musical essay on the great dialectic of the law and grace. The highest and lowest instrumental voices play the familiar Ten Commandments chorale tune in grand canonic imitation. But these lines attain new meaning and height when we realize that the inner lines sung by the chorus are that same melody sung backwards and upside down. Grace is inextricably derived from the creative stuff of the law in perfect equilibrium, the most noble expression of contrite, sincere love of God, a pure reflection of inner and outer piety. Bach's musical expression of Imago Dei, the image of God.
beloved, today's journey with Bach celebrates that perfect state of grace attained when we, each of us, imparts grace, kindness, patience, persistent patience, all without quid pro quo. Imago Dei, the mirror of the divine, freeing into love and loving into freedom, Frieda über Israel, peace upon Israel. Bach's song to you, God's abiding peace to you, peace upon Israel. God, you have given us riches beyond measure. We can only return a fraction of what we owe you, but we ask, Lord, that you will bless our offerings and help us to use them wisely in your service and for your glory. Amen.
do all the good you can at all the times you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can, do all the good you can. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and always.